Stan Stanton! Get in there! Come on! Best player in the championship. Mountains, waterfalls, lava, hot springs, lakes, rivers, and French fries. According to TripAdvisor, these are the top seven reasons to go to Idaho. But I don't want to go there, and you don't either, because this is the Oh No No podcast, and we're here to talk about Wraith Rovers 1, Dunfermline Athletic 0. Uh, my name's Duncan Cameron. I'm your host for this afternoon. And joining me, we have a man who saw his team score a last-minute winner yesterday. It's Blair Hopcroft. We have a man who saw his team score a last-minute winner yesterday. It's uh, Scott Fleming. Thanks. Uh, we've got a man who saw his team score a last-minute winner yesterday. It's John Greer. Hello. Uh, a man who saw his team score a last-minute winner yesterday. It's Robbie Weir. Hello. And making his debut... Incredibly, another man who saw his team score a last-minute winner yesterday, it's Sandy Power. Hello. Whoa. Where did you nick that? Plus, <laughs> <laughs> well, as everyone was saying hello, I might as well do the hello. That's it. Trademark. Um, so, we are obviously going to talk in great detail about a thoroughly enjoyable afternoon yesterday that, of course, Blair, you and I predicted would finish... Good. That with a, a comprehensive and very comfortable 1-0 win uh, to the Rovers. So we will get on to the uh, the fun stuff soon enough. But let's start with the first half. And uh, Robbie, why don't you get us started? Your thoughts on uh, kind of how the team set up and, and how that first 45 unfolded. Yeah, so the lineups stayed the same. And that was a reasonable enough thing to expect. I know that when we saw the team lines, there was a bit of speculation. Maybe Liam Dick would have moved to centre-back and McGill at left-back, but he stayed the same, kept McGill sort of playing almost on the attacking left. And then, uh, yeah, just... It was a very stuffy performance. First half, we were limited really to that one shot from Lewis Vaughan. Other than that, nothing really of note. Kevin Dubrovsky had uh, some really good saves throughout the game. But yeah, just a, a very, uh, without sort of glossing over the performance because the result, yeah, we got uh, got a bit lucky there and um, fairly enjoyable result. But yeah, first half, solid enough performance without doing too much. A lot of huffing and puffing. I think Dunfermline pressed us really well um, to their credit. Uh, that caused us to go long and without Jack Hamilton in the side, I said to, to Sean McGuigan, I bumped into him at half-time actually, and I said to him, it's like we're playing with Jack Hamilton, but Jack Hamilton's not on the pitch because we're playing this sort of long, direct football, but we don't have the target man up top. I love Callum Smith and Lewis Vaughan to bits, but they're never going to be target men just due to the, the, the sort of physical nature of it. But yeah, um, first half, I think we were lucky to go in 0-0. Um, you could see that towards the end of the half, some really big saves from Kev. But yeah, um, you, as the game went on, you had this sort of slight feeling that yeah, there is definitely something that we can potentially take from it. So. 
yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That um, the first kind of ten minutes, I thought, were so frenetic and so kind of panicky that if Dunfermline had scored in that period, I don't know what would have happened. But yeah, the longer it went on, they weren't they weren't really creating a huge amount. It started to to become quite a quite an interesting game, just the way it was it was going through. Um, Sandy, how about you? How do you feel about the the kind of the opening period of the game? Um, it was quite funny because I kind of related to to the game that we played at Starks in the League Cup, in that it didn't seem like we were playing to our kind of flowing potential. Um, there was a lot of kind of stray passes going, and seemed quite deliberate at times, even when we did have possession. Um, I think Ian Murray touched upon it in his post-match video that he was just on the players to be a bit more confident in their passing and not worry too much and play with a bit more freedom. And I think that did show in the second half. Um, I think it certainly benefited us um, that Benedictus, Benedictus sorry, was uh, risked in the first half um, and then he was taken off. Um, I thought when Benedictus left us, um, I kind of thought, well, that's not too big a thing, perhaps. Maybe he's lost a bit of pace, but he's actually done incredibly well at Dunfermline by all accounts. So I think him going off was actually quite a good thing. Um, he was actually doing pretty well in their defence. Um, so in terms of our play in the second half, um, obviously we were a bit more on the front foot, created a few more chances. And I think Dunfermline kind of ran out of steam a little bit. Um, and we just had that little bit extra in the second half that kind of took us over the line. Yeah, I think the um, substitutions played a big part in as much as I think their substitutions made them worse and our substitutions made us better, mm-hmm. which is um, not for the not for the first time this season. Um, yeah, I definitely think that um, Connolly coming on uh, and Easton coming on really made a difference. Um, I don't think Mullen was getting a lot of joy against uh, uh, Josh Edwards. Josh Edwards, that's the one. Josh Edwards. Um, so yeah, it was. It was obviously Mullen's not the slowest player on the face of the earth, but there was a lot of times that Josh Edwards was just eating up, eating them up for pace. Um, I think that's kind of he played some lovely balls in at times, uh, Mullen, but he wasn't having a lot of joy. So I think just getting a little bit more energy on when you brought him. Um, Conley Nissanon really, really helped against possibly what was a tiring Dunfermline side. Yeah, I mean, far be it from me to criticise Ian Murray and his, his tactical approach. I, I did think, though, that he kind of played into James McTake's hands a little bit with the way that he set that team up. And as much as, as you said, Robbie, they were kind of playing a way that would have suited Jack Hamilton, but without Jack Hamilton. So you've got three centre-halves there, and they're always going to be able to manage sort of Vaughan and Smith relatively well because there's there's three of them. Um, even with Benedict is kind of short on movement, and then with the two wing backs, you McGill who's not McGill's never going to bomb forward and hit that byline naturally, and Mullen that's not really his game either. So those two wing backs, you ideally you want to be turning them, you want to be getting in behind them, and we never threaten to do that at all until we put on Connolly and Easton. And then suddenly, um, Josh Edwards and Aaron Comrie on the other side had to actually worry about what was happening 
and you could see then suddenly Dunfermline couldn't get out kind of anywhere near as much. I think definitely that was the the big kind of turning point. Um, Scott, let's come to you next. What were your thoughts on? Well, let's let's call it the the first kind of hour, probably up until the, the substitution started rolling in. Were you worried as that game unfolded, or did you feel like it was relatively comfortable? Uh, I think I'm not sure I was ever worried, but I was just a little bit. Uh, I was actually quite confused with how we played the first fifteen minutes because it was kind of unlike us this season. That first fifteen twenty that. We just didn't seem to get going at all. And I seen twice, I think, in the first 20 minutes, as the cameras, obviously I'm watching it on Rave TV, the cameras pan into the ball, but at the corner of your eye, you're seeing Murray losing the plot going because the players are just no, either following whatever they've worked on or they've kind of lost track of who they're meant to be marking or whatever. And we just seemed to, that first 20, be all over the place. And it was kind of... But, I mean, what was it, the second minute, Dunfermline had that corner, which Dubrovsky made a brilliant save down low, and then we were lucky that none of the Dunfermline players were that close to actually look to get a rebound off it as well. But, now, once the first 20 had kind of gone past, I thought we settled into it a bit better, but we still, that whole first half, I just it just wasn't the us at all. And I was saying to a few folk that it was just, we, we lacked everything that we've basically been doing all season well, which was touch and go, touch and move, sort of little triangles. Stanton was almost anonymous in that first half, and that's the first time I think you could say that all season. And I think I said in the group chat to the rest is that we need him driving with the ball if we've got any chance to cut them open. And I agree with you all saying about the back three as well. I think that Vaughn, he was obviously doing his best at what he sort of service he was getting but at the same time you can't even launching the ball up to somebody that's five foot eight five foot nine he's never going to be never mind two centre halves three centre halves but I think the whole Benny going off actually suited us in the end because I think in the end of the game did the Ferman no finish the game and one recognised centre half and he had cramped and he went down injured as well so no but overall it was a bit of a confusing game for us but it was uh, <laughs> The right result in the end. Uh, John, do you want to come in there before we start getting into the the right back end of the game? How did you feel yeah. the, the 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 bulk of the game was going? Yeah, I'm, like everyone else, I was a bit disappointed the way we started, and I met Blair at half time, and I I did say to him that it looked like it was it was time to switch Liam Dick into centre half, get get McGill at left back, and get Brown back in the game and try and get a, a foothold in the game because a lot of the time the midfield was was uh, was being overrun um, poor um, poor thinking by the players I thought but um, and by me there but um, <laughs> um, I I agree I agree I'm I'm not sure if I was a Dunfermline supporter perish the thought but. I would be very pleased at throwing Benedictus into a game like that yesterday because it must have been a huge gamble. And and my thoughts were, when I saw he was in the team, get boys running at him. He's he's not match fit. He's not played for about six seven weeks. Um, but as as um, 
as the boys have said, he actually done quite well. And uh, it is quite funny that he went off with another injury, uh, which seemed to be a, a thigh injury. So hopefully he'll be out for a wee while. Um, but <laughs> um, as, you, as you guys all said, when we brought on Connolly, not so much Connolly, because I, I didn't think we used him. There was times he was going wide and we weren't getting the ball to him. But I, I think bringing a player like Easton on, and I'm not going to go down the, the usual route of that, or Dylan Easton, but he actually, you can see them kind of going, oh, no, they've brought him on now. We're going to have another, another one. And it started to, the wee triangle patterns that you're speaking about, Scott, started to appear and um, you know and what turned out to be a tremendous result in the end that's it and, and as you say Benedict has uh, Scott it was you who pointed out I hadn't noticed until you said during the game that um, they, had, they weren't sending him up for corners so obviously even from the outset they knew that he wasn't a hundred percent, and it's obviously a gamble that he's taken to put him in, and I think that's one of the big advantages of playing that back three as well is that you can accommodate for that. So if you look at you know our back four, if either Murray or Brown was really struggling yesterday, absolutely you could you could get running at them, but they've got you know two young boys either side of Benny, you can see how you can kind of get away with that. I suspect that's what was behind. The, the thinking behind um, Smith and Vaughan kind of playing as a as a proper front too, but it just just never came off. I said at half time, it, it looked like we had ten men. It just yeah. looked like they had an extra man popping up what, again and again. What was quite funny is I was speaking with the people behind me um, at the stand, and they they mentioned that Breen going off was a bit of a disaster. But by God, they brought on Joe Chammers, who is the <laughs> Biggest, I think it was Ian Lato described him at the game at East End. He described him as being like watching someone in a charity game. Now that's an area that Ian Lato is fortunately an expert in. And yeah, what an absolute passenger of a footballer. Just obviously we'll come on to the goal in time. But I, when they brought him on, I was thinking, brilliant, excellent. Our players can totally because he is very much. We've spoken, I've said before a few times, Dylan Easton, he gets the measure of a player and he'll size them up and down and then he'll go for it, exactly what happened. But yeah, um, we touched on before about, sort of, um, before the game that there really is a dearth of centre-backs in Scottish football. And that's why you get clubs like us risking Keith Watson and then you've got clubs like Dunfermline risking Benedictus because it just feels like over the last 10 years, the centre-backs have completely dried up. There's, you really struggle. Most clubs at our level struggled to find a centre half that was of good experience. We got very lucky that we got you and Murray back, but yeah, very, very uh, strange situation there that you you keep seeing these centre-backs getting rushed from injury, um, and then it ends up being a, a problem area because you're having to sub them off. Yeah, definitely. As it's kind of counterproductive in the long term, but you know what other what other options have you got? I mean, we've seen obviously Scott Brown playing significant time at centre-half. Um, as you said already, Dunfermline finished, you know, three centre-halves, two of them were were midfielders as well. Um, I was surprised, actually, that he kept that up at the point where you're, you're down to one central defender. Why are you sticking with three? And again, I think that helped create some of that space that, as you say, Easton's always looking for. And Joe Chalmers is so, so standoffish. 
Like you see it in the goal. He's he's yeah. watching Easton and he takes a step back to get a better look at him. It's like, well, well, where, where are you going? Close him down. I can't blame him. He's he's good to watch. He is. He absolutely is. But I was yeah. especially from a Rovers perspective. Yeah. I was going to say, that, I felt, um, I felt yeah. yesterday the um, just the I'm going. <laughs> you know, we are not obviously associated with the club, so we can be as brutally honest as we want to be. That's the worst. I've seen us play in a long time. I thought we were for the first uh, 92 minutes, um, and you have touched on it. You know, it was unlike us or whatever. I thought the the game in itself was rotten. It was it was horrible. Um, the interview during the week with Murray. Um, I mean, Neil Russell obviously did the usual kind of you know the manager interview. You asked the questions about you know playing the occasion, playing the game, and all the rest of it. I genuinely thought we played the game. Um, and they played the occasion at the beginning, which I think was the big difference between the two teams. They came out at 100 mile an hour. They were flying about everywhere, launching into tackles, trying to win the ball. It was like Derby Day, here we go. And we didn't really respond to it, which annoyed me at the start. So the first 15, 20 minutes, I'm sitting there going, boys, why are we not for this? Like, yeah. come on. And as the game went on, I started to think to myself, actually, we don't need... Like, I mean, we've, we've joked all week about lowly seventh place Dunfermline and coming or whatever, and you watch them playing, and yeah, they created a few chances and Kev made a few good saves, but they never really carved us open. They never really kind of took us apart. It was just that kind of bluster. Like, it, it just felt, like I say, just like a derby day kind of, yeah. but from one, from one side. I think the thing with Benny, just sorry, very quickly, because we've, we've touched on the back three thing, Throwing Benny in, I think you're absolutely right. He's got enough cover. Um, but I think he offers something that the rest of them didn't. You could see a calmness kind of come into their defensive side, the goalkeeper as well. Um, they seem to be a bit more confident, I think, just having him there. So from McPake's point of view, I can kind of see why you put him in. He might know last 90 minutes, and he, he clearly didn't. Um, he's not going to match Bonnie for pace or whatever. and, and or whatever. But um, yeah, I think he brings the best out of those um, that are around them, but it was a it was a really weird game, a really really weird game of football. Can you know I just is? say? Oh, sorry. On you go, John. Can I just say the one person that did seem really up for it in our team was you and Murray. Mm. You and Murray was fighting for everything. Was and I? It's quite funny because I did an interview with him um, after the game, and he describes himself as a meathead. He says, "Us oh, meatheads at the back," because I said, you know. I said somebody recently had, had said that you would head a brick wall for us to get a win. And he said, Well, that's what us meatheads do. <laughs> and uh, but I thought he was I thought he was really good um mm. starting the game. I thought he was the one that really showed that this is a this is a derby match and it's a game I want to win. Um, but... I felt there was a few quite uncharacteristic performances throughout the side though. Like I don't think Liam Dick had his best 90 minutes in a Rover shirt by any stretch. Um, Sean Byrne stood out for me. He he was kind of sixes and sevens, I thought. Like, he didn't, he, he never really managed to get his foot on the ball. He never really managed to control the game. I thought Josh Mullen was a bit anonymous for, for most of it, to be honest. Some great deliveries, don't get me wrong. And we talked about that in the Dundee United game. You know, he doesn't always offer you a lot, but he offers you those deliveries. And he did that yesterday. Um, but yeah, it was just one of those games where it was like, like you say, it, it felt like they had the extra man. And I think that was just their, I mean, they needed it. They're on the back of two defeats yeah. and rounds. 
it's a derby game, big crowd, all the rest of it. They needed yesterday probably more than we did. I think that's, um, that's a really good point, and I think it's sorry, Robbie. I think the you sometimes forget this the sort of the wider context that exists for the other team as well. Mm-hmm. So we've been talking all this season about um, the Rovers winning narrowly, and that it's felt more comfortable than, than otherwise. And that's the kind of mindset that that we're in at the moment. Uh, against my better judgment, I was talking to a Dunfermline fan last night, and <laughs> he, he was saying that. Um, from the moment in the first half when Dubrovsky bodied Jakubiak as he came to close him down, <laughs> as soon as that happened, he thought, we're getting beat. It was just like, it, from that point, now that was only about half an hour in, but he was just like, this isn't our day. Because that's that's where their kind of mindset is at the moment. They've lost two in the bounce. They haven't scored. So even though they had the better of the game, I think they were able to see some of their same old problems coming up. So yeah. we were at sixes and sevens, as you say. We looked like we were a man down. People all over the park playing really within themselves. Mm-hmm. And Dunfermline not really creating a huge amount. As you said, John, they, they get that um, corner right at the beginning. There was a couple other kind of half chances, really, in the in the first half. But to the, the level that the Rovers were playing poorly really you'd expect the opposition to be doing a lot more and i think uh, i think probably all of us at half time were kind of really not worrying necessarily but really thinking like we need to be playing a lot better than this yeah but i don't think at the other end they were thinking we're all over them we're we're definitely going to you know keep running over the top of them i think they were thinking we're not taking any chances and this is starting to starting to go and i wonder if their players were thinking the same thing yeah so Oh, I'm, sorry, just, I'm just going to jump in here, John, um, just to say that like, it's it really extends on Blair's point, what he's touched on a few times, is that this season, you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. And see see coming towards the end of the game, just because this is basically just an extension of Duncan's point, see when that clock hit the 87th minute point and Scott Brown gets that touch on the, the ball, and it could go in, but it skews wide and goes for a corner. See, at that point, I was thinking, we're going to fucking win this. There's a, I just thought, I just felt, we're going to go up the pitch, we're going to get something, because we've not conceded a goal in the touchwood, obviously, in the, the final 15 minutes of a game this season, something like that. See, when you see something like that, you can't help but feel, ah, this squad's going to, we're just going to do something that's going to nick it. And I wasn't worried going into the final 15, 20 minutes of that game. I, f- I genuinely felt, we are going to snatch this and get a sucker punch. And that's exactly what happened um, yesterday. So, yeah, brilliant. And I, was, um, I was just go going back. to say, Duncan, yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, do you remember, I think it was Christina on a, an earlier podcast said, there's going to be one game where Kevin's going to make his mark. Yeah. Um, how many of us stood up and applauded when he came and did that? You know, and was strong against the Dunfermline uh, striker. We are no comfortable pronouncing his name, <laughs> but Alex, Alex, yes. But he, he, that was that was the, in some ways, that was the making of him in that game yesterday. Um, I think he came and he thought, no, no, this is it. You know, um, I don't know if he spoke to one of the meatheads who said you've got to come and do that, um, but. That that was good, you know, to see. 
I think you're right. We we always talk about sliding doors moments in games, and yeah. you know that, that thing if it can go one way or the other. I mean, Yakubiak just before that had bodied Sean Byrne off the ball, completely yeah. bodied him off of it, and you're thinking, bloody hell, he's strong, and he comes, and for Kevin Dubrovsky to come out, and I in my head I'm thinking Queens Park. Oh my yeah. God, here we go again. He's going to come out. He's going to fluff it because he's worried about the hit, and he just wiped him out. And it was beautiful, right in front of the North Sand. Just, ah, glorious. Their fans were fuming about it as well. <laughs> they were absolutely livid, which is beautiful to see. Glorious. That's it. It's one of these ones that, because he gets it right, and, and completely genuinely, because he gets it right, he gets yeah. all the credit for the way that he judges it. Because I think your first instinct almost is like, just rush out and take that. But he'd have to have taken it on the bounce. So he lets it bounce. And then he actually, he carried the ball's about eight foot in the air. And he catches it cleanly and just smashes the boy out of the way, which is, is uh, yeah, absolutely delightful to see. And um, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's that's a real sliding doors moment. Even if that doesn't isn't a goal, if he misjudges that, the South stands anxious. He's in his own head. It can all go um, to pot at that point. But yeah, takes complete control. And as I say, I only spoke to one of them, but the boy I was speaking to said, like that was the point where he was like, "We're getting beat today. This is this isn't happening." Um, and I think to, to, right. to kind of stay on Kevin Dabrowski just for a second, that double save that he made in the second half, I think one thing, he gets down so well for someone his size. I think that might be really his key strength. Um, it's the same with that one in the, the second minute at the corner kick. The um, I think a lot of goalkeepers keep that out with their feet. Yeah. But instead, he, he gets down to it and the... Someone on on Pine Bobber last night was saying that that double save, like you'd expect any goalkeeper to make that save. You know that they're 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 close to him, and I think the first one is quite close to him, but it's it's in that point where it's, it's like at that kind of grey area where are you trying to get your foot across? Are you trying to get down to it? And he gets down to it really really well, and then he's back up to be in the right position for the second one. I thought that was excellent goalkeeping. I thought it was really. Um, <laughs> kind of mean spirited to try and take that away from us. It did really well. Um, Sandy, I think we we've all had a chance to kind of give our thoughts on Kev Dabrowski, um previous to today. How do you feel about him? The the time that we've had him. Um, obviously, I was at the Queen's Park game and he kind of had the little blunder, and I think he no more. quite unfairly um, got a little bit blamed for the other goal in that game as well, but. Um, He's he's obviously he's got his own style. Um, he's very much palming balls out rather than some t- you might expect him to keep a hold of them. Um, but he's obviously got fantastic reflexes. He's a great shot stopper. Um, and as you say, he is fantastic just getting down balls quite close to him, quite low down, which might look to the untrained eyes being quite a simple one. But these balls can be quite awkward for keepers sometimes. I think so. Yeah, obviously it's still only a kind of quarter into the season. Um, so I think think so far he's done well. I think, although I was really disappointed in some of the race support when they were jeering him um, after his mistake in that game, I think possibly he's just made a concerted effort. Look, I'm going to grab this by the scruff of the neck and just show, show the fans what I'm capable of. Um, and definitely, I think he does feel off, feed off the energy of the fans. You could see 
um, after he's, one of his saves other, uh, yesterday, he just had his fist pumped up to the to the south stand, and you can see what it means to him uh, that he's got the the backing of the the crowd again. So it's yeah, so it's been really good to see um, him kick on from that point. Just a delightful big guy to watch, isn't he? Just even even when he's not actively having to do anything. When that goal went in and he was, it wasn't even swinging right on the, the bar. He'd, he'd almost sort of monkey bars himself up onto the crossbar. And then uh, I right into the fans at full time and everything. That's just, uh, I just see, I'm, I, I couldn't be couldn't be a bigger fan of the guy. I really, really like him. Duncan. Um, yeah. Can I ask one thing of Blair? There was an incident in the second half uh, when the ball was played to his left foot. And he kicked it, and there was a big puff of the pellets off the pitch came up. And I thought, Blair will be having a hairy canary now, because that was, at the beginning, your big bugbear about him, that, according to you, he wasn't able to kick with either foot. But he managed to get it away up to the halfway line, and uh, he's he is a cult hero already, isn't he? Yeah. Yes, um, can I can I respond? Yeah, um, I'm I'm gonna say I think that's I think you've been a tad unfair on me, John. I never said he couldn't kick with his foot. I said he looks uncomfortable. Kicking. I think you said he was a no-footed football player. I did. In the context of looking comfortable kicking a ball was my context. He, I mean, I think it's fair to say kicking is definitely not his strength. Um, but yeah, I agree, John. Um, he did. He got the ball away, um, and he's. Do you know what? I think you're absolutely right. He is um, a bit of a cult hero. And I think Sandy's picked up on a point that we've mentioned previously. He's just, he's so different. And I think having watched the Rovers as long as I have, I don't ever remember us having a keeper like him. And it's taking me a long time to feel comfortable. I mean, I really like the guy. He's a really good shot stopper. I do just, I just wish he would hold a bit more. That's literally all. I just wish he would hold something because it gives Can me I- the heat. Sorry, Robbie. Um, <laughs> uh, it is it is noticeable as well at the end of every game. Robbie Thompson's right onto him, and and it's there. So the work that Robbie must be doing with him is oh. tremendous. And uh, the other week there, I saw Robbie, our Robbie's uh, best pal Scott Thompson having a word with him as well. So it must be good that Robbie allowed that to happen. Didn't you, Which one? Yeah. <laughs> what a guy. What a guy. But um, I think it, being on a podcast, I think it's a tricky one because you, you've got to, performances like yesterday, I think if we come away with that with a draw or if we lose, then straight away we're automatically asking questions. And it's a very hard line. I was chatting with Matty who... who uh, does Long Bangers, which is a Hibs podcast. And it's a tough one because... You, you're aware that you're conscious that as a fan, it gives you a bit of a higher voice in terms of like people will pick up on it, stuff can get clipped, it can get shared in terms of context. But then as a fan, you're within your rights to ask questions, but he's completely responded to it brilliantly. Um, and I think as well, it's, it says a lot about his mentality that he's just had to, he's been able to bounce back. And I feel like there's a bit of that within the squad. Ross Milne um, said before, a lot of people questioned him when he came in. Um, he'd not had many games and he'd gave away a penalty against Cali Fissel and a lot of people he almost got sort of tarred with a brush that sort of said oh he's not that great a player but he's been so consistent since then he's been excellent and uh, 
he's a fantastic wind-up merchant as well. Got to say that about him. Um, so yeah, just I think sometimes you've just got to remember that they are human beings. That there is, um, it, it's difficult because you do want to analyse things and you want to look at it, but at the same time, stick with the players. And I definitely felt that was a theme of yesterday. Um, after we scored, they get that corner. And everyone in that south stand was on their feet, getting right behind the squad, and that was a key feature between uh, behind as well the sort of social media with the run up to the game. All the ex players saying, "Just make sure you stick with the squad, stick with them," and it shows at the end. It shows so much at the end when you see those celebrations and you see the club talking about how we are doing something special, and you can feel it. So yeah, uh, yeah. I'm delighted for Kevin. I'm delighted for all the squad. I think. Um... On Ross Millen, I'm going to put my hands up on that one because you're absolutely right. When he gave away that penalty, was it in Cali Thistle? Yeah. Um, I was I really because what I thought of that at the time was it was such a a bad decision to try and make the tackle that he did, and I thought this is going to be a nightmare because he's not thinking about the game enough. He's not, you know, it's it's not that he's made a mistake; it's that he's made a bad decision. And that can be a nightmare for a fullback because you've got to be making turns all the time. And actually, in pretty much everything that he's done since then, he's proved that it's the, the polar opposite. Um, John, you mentioned that a previous podcast. He's always, he's the one, if, if you need an extra ball thrown on the park just to buy yourself 20 seconds to get back, Ross Millen's the one doing it. He, I think, is so switched on and, and thinking about it so much that um, he's been a real asset. You know, I think, in terms of pure technical footballing ability, is he up there with the very best fullbacks in the division? Probably not. Crossing aside, his crossing's excellent. His but... first touch. He's got yeah. a first touch that honestly is light years ahead of this level. Mm-hmm. But that's is he the the full package? I think he's he's very very good. He's been incredibly solid. Um, which yeah, the first couple of games when he first came in, largely based as you say on kind of preconceptions from his rep, his reputation. He's, he's totally turned that around. Um, right, I think we've kept our powder dry for long enough. Do you want to talk about the goal? Let's do it. Scott, why don't you... You've had the... Uh, you had the sort of the clearest view, I suppose, uh, having seen it on uh, on Ray TV. Uh, no audio, obviously, because I think they uh, spiked the mics again. But, um, well, talk us through it first of all, and then uh, tell us how you felt about it. I mean, I, I am quite well. In the end, I'm really happy that we did swap ends for <laughs> for that goal especially. But uh, no, I, I think we, we alluded to it earlier that once Easton had came on, it almost felt like the pass started to get slightly deeper because they realised, right, we've only got one recognised centre-half and even he's hobbling about. So you've got guys like I think it was Otto and Hamilton had kind of dropped into like a back three. It was almost it was basically a back five because Coleman and Edwards were pretty much told right you're going to need to help them out instead of bombing forward like they were in the first half. But Easton and Stanton just started to get the sort of one two, getting a little bit of space. And then Robbie mentioned the uh, Chalmers coming on. He was just basically looking about like a headless chicken, going, what what am I meant to do? Who am I meant to mark? And it was back to how we've been playing this season of guys running about, triangles, one touch. And then, yeah, Stanton, uh, Stanton kind of does a sort of one-two. Easton get, gets into the edge of the box. And then Easton's got him fronted up. And you're like, well, 
he's either going to try and clip this ball just in behind for somebody like Vaughn to run onto it, or he's going to have to beat him and shoot. I actually didn't even look at Stanton at the time because he, I think he, he had his guy pinned, but I thought uh, the guy has got him covered, but he's managed to get the touch. I think he got a bit lucky with his back heel kind of flicking it back forward. And then as soon as it like, he'd hit it, I, I might have looked more ridiculous if it didn't go in. And, but luckily it was only me in the house, but I'd already jumped up because I, because of the angle, you could just see the keepers not even getting in, it's going in. And then, uh, no, it was, as you say, I think as soon and I, obviously the guys have probably looked at it on the, on the monitor in the, bo- in the booth that they're uh, commentating and, and they already lost it by the time it had even crossed the line. And so... <laughs> No, it was uh, it was brilliant and just it was it was great to see Stanton on the score sheet again because it'd been a couple of weeks since he'd probably scored or anything like that. But he's I'm just glad for him because I know that he kind of went through a tough time before he came to the Rovers and folk had kind of almost forgot about him in Scottish football because he went out to Ireland and everything like that. But no, uh, it was it was yeah. our most favourite goal as it stands <laughs> for uh, in a derby. I think is that um, just two goals for the season, Sam Stant? Both 1-0 victories in five derbies? Yeah, I think so. Both in front of the big stand full of Pars fans as well. Beautiful. Yeah, just really, really good stuff. Uh, Robbie, how did you see it? Uh, Yeah, I mean, you see... I can't really remember too much about the goal because I just completely lost the run of myself when it went in, as I think that a lot of people did. Um, I went back and I watched it on Rafe TV and I I, I like listening to the, the commentary from Rafe TV after. With a, uh, I'd advise if you're a season ticket holder, get logged in on the Rafe TV account um, on the website. Um, you can use your season ticket there and go back and listen to Davey and Steve Tosh when they're talking about the commentary. And Stevie Tosh has a great point. He says, I play a load of golf. You never remember your performance. You only ever look at your scorecard. And that summed it up. That summed it up to an absolute T. Um, it was just fantastic. A great goal, uh, really well worked. As Scott says, a bit of luck in there as well, but sometimes you just need that. And uh, yeah, just fantastic celebrations, just jumping about, hugging people. And you can go through life and you, you go through all sorts in, in life. You'll go through ups, downs. You'll Maybe you're having a tough time at work. Maybe you've got relationship issues. Maybe you're having issues with your family or you're struggling at school or university, whatever. See if you go to a football game and you become invested in a team and you get a moment like that, there is nothing better than it because you just completely forget about any problem that you've got in life um, and there is no better way to do it, in my opinion. Uh, I think Rio Ferdinand once said that if you could bottle the feeling from a 90th minute winner, um, then you would be a billionaire because if you could sell that, it would be something else. And yeah, just a complete euphoric experience. There's nothing like it. That must Just, be the only um, good thing that he's ever said, Rio Ferdinand. It wouldn't surprise me, but I don't really care. <laughs> when were you speaking to Rio Ferdinand? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to start up my own former Players Association, John. Sorry, but I'm coming into the business. Well, he's not aye. our former player, but... <laughs> aye. Aye. Any well, former player of aye, any, just... any stripe. Um, the other thing with Stevie Tosh, I did the same as you. I went back and watched um, some of the, the full match replay. And just as Dylan Easton gets the ball in the, the kind of build up to the goal, Stevie Tosh goes, Well, Dylan Easton likes to play a bit of football. <laughs> and he certainly does. Um, Blair, the, 
as I say, obviously, um, an incredible goal. Did you, by that point, did you think there was any chance we were getting a late goal? And also, second part of the question, did you think there was any chance they'd sneak an equaliser after it? Um, so the first part, I wouldn't say I thought we were going to, but I definitely felt we were the more likely. Um, I'd say from about an hour in, once the substitutions had happened, sort of 60, 65 minutes, we kind of, that was the first point where I felt like we really got a foothold in the game and we actually started to dictate play a little bit more. Um, without really creating an awful lot, though, that was my, my real concern is that, um, and actually one of my mates had said that the um, if you were to put a decent goal scorer in their side, they would probably be pretty good because they're really well drilled and like they, they kept their shape really well and we really struggled to break them down. But at the same time, for the last half an hour or so, other than the, the kind of the double save, there wasn't really an awful lot for, for Kev to do. Like it was it felt like it was pushing more that way. So I wasn't massively surprised when we did score. Um but I didn't I wouldn't say I felt it was it was coming. Um I did definitely think we were going to concede. Um, not any reflection on the, the squad or the players at all um, just I think the universe hates me so as soon as we score a, a 93rd minute goal you just assume you're going to concede a 94th like that's just where my brain goes um, But and that's that thing of celebrating the goal was incredible celebrating the, the clearance, the header from the corner was glorious as well it's like that, yeah, I mean I, I think you're absolutely right, if you could bottle that feeling um, it's amazing. I always think it's a little bit like, you know, that feeling when um, you, you take a penalty and the goalkeeper saves it and their fans rush up. You know, you get that roar off from them and it drops yeah. to the striker and then he buries it and you get that rush off and they sink. It's that glorious kind of to and fro that you get in football. What's um, um, funny is you mentioned about like the corner and you know how they talk about how the ball can get sucked into the net. That was the opposite. It was like a power dryer away from the net. It was basically, we're like, nope, get it away, get it away. Um, John, anything you want to add about the goal? And also, um, give us your man of the match as well. Take us into that discussion. I think um, I obviously... Where we're down in the south stand, you never really saw how good a turn it was from Sam Stanton. I know that Scott, you said he got a bit lucky. And one of the great features about this season is having that young guy having a, a different camera where he's out there. And when they put that footage in, you see the way they, they move it about. But as you said, the finish was superb after he turned. Um, what was it, man of the match? My man of the match, I would go with Kevin. Kevin kept us in it at the right time, so I thought he did did really well with his saves. And his, his double save was, was really good. Um, and he's got an ability where his goalkeepers go down and they save it, but they push it out towards the on-rushing player. He always seems to push it. It must be when he was taught as a youngster uh, to push it away from the goal. And that's a really good asset to have, isn't it? I'm I'm totally in agreement with you on that. I think it's it's yeah. very clear that from whatever early age he's not been coached to catch the ball, but he has at least got that ability to, to really get rid of it. You see yeah. that especially with you know, like shots from distance almost. 
he gets down to them and he's pushing them well clear. It's almost like the shots that he saves go out for throw-ins rather than out for corners because he's making sure he gets behind it. And it is, it's very much one of these things that if you're not going to catch it, you have to deal with it that way. And he, he, he does seem to have that. Um, Sandy, what about you, man of the match-wise? Um, who did you think was um, was up there for that one? I think rightly for having kept us in the game, Kevin Dabrowski deserved the man of the match. But I think there were a few other players who did have a good, solid performance. Um, mentioned uh, Ewan Murray before. I actually thought Scott Brown had a really good performance. Um, it's obviously not his natural position, um, but obviously put in a good shift. Um, didn't really put a foot wrong, I didn't think. Um, he also was playing a little bit more advanced towards the end of the game and put in uh, one tackle, I remember quite late on, that was just a really good crunching tackle that just got, got the ball out of danger's way. Um, also thought Lewis Vaughan um, had quite a good game, although he wasn't really able to do what he would like to do as a sort of uh, number 10. Um, I thought his general, when a lot of passes were going astray and we were losing the ball a lot, I felt his retention of possession and bringing other people into the game was very good. But as I say, I think it'd be hard not to give it to Dubrovsky just for the kind of vital moments in the game where he kind of kept us in it. Um, I don't know if it warrants a, a man in a match, but I'd be inclined to give some sort of special award to Lewis Vaughan for that like pirouette into a pass about 10 minutes in. Yeah. Just delightful. Like I've never never wanted a move to turn into a goal so much just so that you could have that extended clip. I don't really care who scores the goal. I just want to be able to keep that. Um, that that was exactly what the boy next to me said. Um, he's like, really, that really needed to be a goal just, just for all that had went into that move. Um, so, yeah. On, you um, on your point about Scott Brown, I, I'm the same. I, I thought by the end of the game, He'd really almost earned himself, certainly at least a, a place in this discussion. So the first half, I thought he was being given a really torrid time by the movement of uh, Lewis McCann and, and Alex Jakubiak. You said earlier, Blair, that's, I think that's the first time I've really watched Jakubiak with any kind of real attention. And his movement's excellent. His strength is excellent as well. I'm not convinced he's a striker. In, in that sense that um, we've had plenty of players who are like that as well, where you, you've got two-thirds of what you need. But they, um, I didn't realise this until after the game yesterday, I read that last season they scored fewer goals than Falkirk and Airdrie, and then the close season um, they didn't bring in anyone, they brought in Yakubiak slightly later on, and I think aye, that with that in mind, you can really see the evidence of that yesterday. They just don't have the goal scorer. And that's where I think you look at Scott Brown and you say, right, okay, so the movement was giving you bother, but over the course of 90 minutes, he gave up nothing. There was no, not one point where that movement turned into someone getting past them and uh, and getting a shot away. He tracked them, tracked them everywhere. The couple of points in the second half where they threatened, there was that kind of sort of overhead kick clearance almost, where he keeps it that away. It was excellent because that's been I mean, so many different things that could go wrong there, and he just does exactly what he needs to do. A couple of the headers late on as well, where um, you know you'd, you'd rather it was the uh, meat-headed Ewan Murray who was under them, but it's Scott Brown and he's dealing with them. Um, 
I think over the piece, I probably would have leaned towards you and Murray actually as as my man in the match. But I think yeah, Scott Brown, given that's not his position, um, I thought did incredibly well. I thought the thing for me is actually in the first half, I thought you and Murray was the one player who was trying to play football. Like actually, in that early period where we were panicky and and really struggling to do anything, it was you and Murray was the one guy who was actually putting his foot on the ball, trying to take his time and uh, and look for something. There was um, one notable exception to that though, which I think is probably worth noting. So I think you had a, you'd or you'd spoken certainly about you and Murray first goal scorer. So I don't know if you sent him a text before the game, but the um, breaking out from the back four, which he did a few times actually, and like you say, looked really good. But he gets, you know, 55 yards from goal and thinks, I'm shooting here. What yeah, because that's... Sean Byrne did the same. But yeah. for Sean Burns, it was like, the box was quite busy and, and everyone had kind of... And you're like, actually, you've got a chance to have a go. You and Murray's, we had two men over on one side and he just, yeah, decided to, to have a go at it. We, we're just discounting them from the discussion entirely based on, on that alone. <laughs> just uh, centre-half shooting from 40 yards, immediate disqualification. Um. <laughs> Anyone else want to add anything to the the man the match? Pitch anyone else in or, or back anyone else up? Well, you've hit the nail on the head. Yeah, I think consensus then. Probably we'll, we'll go with the sponsors. We'll stick with uh, with Kev Dubrovsky with a couple of uh, a couple of notable mentions. So we have um, we have allocated some time today to talk about the uh, the wider category of shenanigans that went on after the game and during the game, I suppose, as well. Uh, but before we do that, anyone want to add anything else about the actual game of football that took place? No, can we move on? Yes, excellent. <laughs> Let's move right into, as you say, I'm, I've I've just my notes literally it just says shenanigans. Uh, which I think there was there was plenty for it. I mean, uh, James McPake just bearing his arse and the the post match greeting of it. Ah, I wouldn't be happy if if my uh, my staff were doing that and you right. and Murray's uh, sorry Ian Murray's there with the receipts up against the window. Like here's the video footage. It's just like some coaches hugging each other, having a lovely time. Um, just, I've said before. I've said before. They are the worst club. Maybe it's just because of the the bias of being in a derby with them, but they are so bad for moving the goalposts. My staff wouldn't do that. And then someone on Pie and Bovril puts Matty Todd though in the first derby in the League Cup. Like what? How how do you explain that one? Um, they're all like, oh, we wouldn't have our yeah, exactly. And then you you look across the board, and he's done exactly the same up at Tanadice. Um, he's done exactly the same up at Tanadice, um, as you mentioned I mean, earlier. So I think Sorry, yeah, just to, he's literally walked down the tunnel at Tanadice, past the Dundee United fans, and done the one-one signal to them, as if as if that somehow like winning the World Cup or whatever. And he's right. having a After go. At, they bottled it. <laughs> and he's having a go at a manager for yeah. celebrating a ninety-third-minute winner in a derby game. It's like baffling. Well, this is that. He says that his team wouldn't celebrate a win like that, which is fine because they've celebrated two draws so far. Yeah, they've been um, wins, that's why. Yeah, aye, that. Um, Robbie, I know you and I both went and and watched the the kind of the post match footage and and forensic detail. Oh, it's brilliant! It's brilliant. It's 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 like a, a kind of thirty second long animated Renaissance painting as there's just like all these pockets of uh, of scrappiness going on. Um, which again, I would urge anyone to go back and, and the, the full match replay's got that all going on. And you get the added bonus of uh, David Hancock and Stevie Tosh picking out moments of commentary on the fighting. 
and uh, Stevie Tosh is desperate to go and get involved, which is is really good. Um, Brilliant. Okay, Duncan, can I just um, before we 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 finish the uh, go to the end of the game, I would like to propose the fact that Dylan Easton is not only the best player in the championship, but he must be in running for Scottish hide and seek champion this year. <laughs> And it was tremendous. And they, they lost the plot with that, didn't they? Beautiful. They lost the plot. Yeah, just... I mean, really, really good from, from uh, Dylan Easton. Just the his innocent face is very good. Is the referee's force, forcibly turning him around to see his number? And he's like, I don't know what it is. What is on my back? How am I supposed to know? And... Uh, Aye, that... Oh, Chris Hamilton's an angry wee guy, as you know. Very angry. Very, very angry. And what I particularly love is the fact that Easton, um, a few folk tagged him on posts on Twitter last night, um, just like, oh, did he know about it? Was he on the wind-up? And he just... All he posted was two emojis, but uh, just go and check them out. And uh, they tell the story. They tell the story very nicely. I think that was the best bit of the whole, the whole end of the game. I mean, there was loads of boys losing their shit, but... To have a, a Dunfermline lifelong fan and Chris Hamilton cutting about like he's hacksaw Jim Duggan, trying to sort out everybody around him. Do you know what I mean? Just and then he it, stops off. Oh, it was beautiful. And the thing is, he's he's coming down and he's he's trying to applaud the Rovers fans sarcastically, like this is some kind but, of victory for him. Oh. But you know, there is an extra element to it. The fact is that. He goes out with Willie McGregor's niece, so not Kevin's daughter, but the other brother, I can't remember his name. So Willie had invited him in, after the game to come up to his lounge, to which he declined. <laughs> so. The um the other thing I liked at that point with the the corner kick I don't know if anybody noticed this I only saw one part of it in the highlights and I saw the other part live is it so the 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 final have got that corner, and there's a big Rami, and the, the ball is down in the corner, and it's somebody in the south stand at that point reaches down over the wall, picks the ball up, and just hoys it onto the railway track. Aye. So they're calling for the ball, and they're shouting back and forth, and for some reason, three ball boys have all grouped together at the halfway line, and each one of them is holding a football. And there's yeah. two players roaring at them, making the ball symbol, and all three of them are like... What? And, sorry, I don't, I don't follow. I'm not sure. Like these three seven-year-olds standing with a football each, and I don't know how it, is. it might be Joe Chalmers. Eventually, runs over, and he just <laughs> the closest one to him just drops the ball at his feet, yeah. pick it up. And yeah. Incredible stuff. Brilliant. Uh, great, brilliant work. Uh, great redemption arc for the ball boys as well after the instant where one ended up back on the park with uh, when we were on a counter attack and uh, Jakubiak kicked the ball right at the the ball that was in play. Um, but yeah, fair play. yellow card by the way. I was raging at that. That was. <laughs> so to be fair, to be fair, see when when that happened, that Josh Mullen should have just tapped that ball out if he wanted to give. Yeah. Like, like it was. It wasn't even cl- he could see it right in front. Of him. I was like, "Why even bother him with the throwing? It's obvious that ball's on the pitch." I like, was most <laughs> impressed that he managed to actually hit the ball that was in play. Yeah, I know. that was I, the, the I most accurate that. pass of the afternoon, and that's yeah. exactly that. That's what they would be talking about if they'd got the result. Because I, th- I thought that was that was just uh, I've only got respect for that. That was an excellent uh, kind of intervention. Um, 
Aye, but just just really, really good stuff. And the the thing, Robbie, you flagged it up to us that Dunfermline allegedly, I don't know how true it is, I assume it is, had pinned up Rovers tweets during the week in the training ground. Like, come on, lads, you're making it far too easy. Like that, I've always felt not just because it happens to have happened here. That is just such a sign of being rattled. Like yeah. it's absolutely the opposite of what football managers say, which is we'll look after us. We're not worried about anybody else. You know, um, but James McPake said at the start of the season that other clubs are making a lot of noise. We'll just get about our business. We'll do it in the park. Like, well, how's that going for you, James? It, just, it's actually, uh, you kind of think that this season, or I, I wish, yeah, I know they did it with Hearts a couple of seasons ago, like stuff like when you see or hear that, like stuff like this happen and you go, oh, I wish BBC were doing like a all or nothing on them right now. <laughs> Just hear what he's saying about it, and then just pinning it all up the the changing room and everything. What we've been saying, I mean, well, and also that picture at full time of Vaughn and his throne. Oh, like, he's thrown it might be heated. I know Christina might be wanting that for the main stand, <laughs> but it was uh, it was that was just sensational. It's <laughs> just the fact that they had two former Rovers players bow down at his as well. <laughs> And that's been, we were talking about it in the club after the game, that's at least a week in the making. That, that's just not been knocked together. And Whoever the animator is, they've done their, done sensational work. But the good news for James McPake is that if you do want a copy of that in future, the club probably will make it a poster that you can stick up in your training ground and you can continue to be angry. So there you go, James. I think Try not what... to beef with too many 16-year-olds on Twitter. <laughs> I think it is honestly worth pointing out as well. I think James McPeak takes a lot of the blame for us winning that game. Like the, you mentioned it at the very beginning about the substitutions, and I know that they're they've got injuries and stuff. So the substitutions in the back four or the back five, sorry, fair enough. Like he's got no control over that. He has to drop that O2 into defence or whatever, unless he goes to two at the back. Fair enough. But see the moment where he takes off. Is it Owen Muffet, the boy they've got on loan? Uh, I thought you were the that, yesterday. That was the moment I thought to myself, here, we've got a chance. It didn't matter who he was bringing on. He was their only threat. He didn't look injured. He didn't look tired. Like, why are you taking him off? He was he was the only player that was going to get any joy against us. Stevie Tosh said that on commentary, actually. He says, this is baffling to me. He's like, this is the only guy that's doing anything, and he's running about creating everything, and yet he's coming off. It was like 61. It wasn't even... It was 61 minutes, I'm sure. It wasn't even that far into the game. He looked really good. Looked yeah. Really I mean, what... What for me, I think quite interesting, I've I've never been a fan of McPeak, and when we were linked with him, I was generally quite concerned. And then I was very happy that we got Ian Murray, because I felt Ian Murray's just a better manager um, and had more of the experience that we needed as a club at that point when we didn't have this new board in place. But the optics to come out the back of that and go straight into the, the courier sport, or uh, the, the press conference. Now, you have two options. You can just say, heat at the moment stuff, it's just daft, we can move on, which is what Ian Murray's done, he's came across that way, nobody thinks Ian Murray's bitter, nobody thinks Ian Murray's fuming, but James McPake, he's lent into that, and now that's his thing to own, he's got to be the one that controls that, and three defeats on the bounce, maybe feeling a bit of the pressure, um, again, they, they um, last season, they waltzed to the title, um, which is fair play, but 
he's getting a taste of his own medicine with what the derbies were like for them against Fal- uh, for Falkirk because that's how they were winning those derbies very tight games 1-0s 2-0s etc um, but again we don't need to go too much into him because just in general the feeling about our club um, is just sensational and I think it's probably worth touching upon if we're going to stick with the social media stuff you think about the number of under 12 fans that we've got uh, that have came to the grounds over the last bit and we've obviously seen this rise in numbers that has came up how many of those fans are going to be sitting there in 5, 10, 15, 20 years talking about a Sam Stanton winner in the last minute and how that made them feel I don't think people realise how big the impact of that is in terms of long term development you can have all your schools uh, school tickets your um, sort of community development all that stuff see with you you add in that 90th minute winner in a derby, which I can't remember the last time that we had a 90th minute winner in a derby. Uh, I sort of posed the question on WhatsApp um, and I don't know if it's happened before, but yeah, I, I don't the, the experience that we'll, they'll get from that um, just is going to give them a lifelong link with the club. That's it. And it's, it, we talked about it in a, a, an earlier episode of this podcast and talked about the social media stuff. And it's like, you will look stupid sometimes. It kind of hasn't really happened yet this season, but with the stuff pre-match and, and all that, of course it's going to get thrown back in your face if you get beat. And sometimes you will Going get back, beat. Isn't it? Exactly. But, like, it's a good laugh. And mm-hmm. it's fine. And it's, it's much funnier if it's winding up the opposition manager. Because it's it's one of these things where I can't imagine that Ian Murray really has much of an idea of what's going on on Twitter during the week. Because he just doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who cares. Yeah. yeah. Just doesn't seem like he's bothered. Seems like if Dunfermline had tweeted something about the Rovers during the week, I'm not convinced he would have noticed. And Because um, that's not who it's for. Like, that's not, that's not um, you know, whoever's sending these tweets to the Rovers are not like, oh, I bet this winds James McPake right up. They're just trying to get a bit of engagement. It's it's further over supporters, and absolutely it's an added bonus if it's then being cast up by the opposition's manager. But it's it's just a good laugh. I'm I'm so for it, and I would be exactly the same if we'd get beat and it was being thrown back. And categorically, I mean, if we get beat later in the season, we get beat 2-0 and uh, Kyle Benedictus and Craig White and score the goals. Yeah. Like, of course that's going to be cast up. And there'll be people saying that that graphic after the game is to blame for it and all this kind of stuff. But that's just a good laugh, isn't it? Well, that's fundamentally it's it's about entertainment, and I was thoroughly entertained by every aspect of uh, of yesterday. Duncan, can I just say that do you not feel that part of it is a deflection tactic from McPeak? Now you were the one that said earlier in an earlier podcast. If you look at Dunfermline, they were poor in doing their business in the summer. They brought in a lack of players. We did everything right. We got players in early. We got the right type of players in. And, and we've shown them up for what, what they didn't do. And I think this is him deflecting away from another situation that's not gone their way. I think he might be under a bit of pressure, actually. Three defeats in the bounds, three games without scoring a goal. I mean, we, we talked about a wider context of a derby game and stuff. Everybody knows form goes out the window when it's a derby. It it just does. Anything can happen. Do you know what I mean? So if if the the if this is a regular run of games, you know you've won one, lost one, drawn one, or whatever, and it's a derby game. Managers always have the ability to come out and say, 
do you know what? It's a derby. We we write it off. We move on to next week. I mean, Ian Murray's even said that Dundee United not having a derby is probably an advantage for them in this league because if Dundee's here, that's at least you know four games in the season that they are going to be experiencing that kind of thing. That the derby can can be a great thing, but it can also hinder you. But um, yeah, I, there's. I don't think there's any greater way to emphasise how shit you are doing than losing your third game on the trot without scoring a goal to your nearest rivals in the 93rd minute, having potentially been the better side. Yeah, and I, I think, John, I think you're almost certainly right. I think it is a deflection tactic, and I think it's a bad one. I think it just generally, again, not just because this is Dunfermline, but just you know, it happens to be what we're talking about. If your manager's under pressure, when you start getting drawn into the nonsense... It's never a good sign. Like, again, Robbie, you said that if he'd come out after that game and gone, listen, I thought we were the better side for most of that, but we didn't take our chances like we should have done, much like the last game. You know, we need to work on that. We need to be more clinical. We've got no points for these games where we really should have come away with more. For, well, I mean, <laughs> not that we're his target audience. We'd have had nothing to talk about. Yeah. His own fans certainly wouldn't have had anything to object to either. But instead, he's he's... I mean, maybe he's trying to kind of build this sort of siege mentality or whatever it is. I really don't think it works. I think the the more you're talking about stuff that's not football, especially when it's so easily disproven, where you're making these insinuations like, oh, they were they were misbehaving. And within minutes, Ian Murray's like, I've just watched the video, there's nothing wrong. And then half an hour later, it's on the internet, there's a video, there's nothing wrong. And he just looks twice as stupid as he did um, beforehand, it's like it's it's odd territory to get yourself into. And as you say, three games in the bounce, they've not won any. Um, sorry, they've lost all three. They've not scored a goal. They go to Morton on Friday night, which I mean, we're about to talk about that in a second anyway. Um, how difficult it is to go to Capital at any time. And then after that, they've got Dundee United at home. You can also, easily... also Friday night on the TV easily you're looking at five games. You know, it, it certainly wouldn't take a huge leap of the imagination yeah. that you're five games without a win or five losses on the advance. Ah, so. it's, it's all fun and games when you're beating teams that you should be beating in League One um, and you've got your, your home support, your wee feral corner um, who are enjoying themselves and you're talking about this, that and the other. Um, but see when you get up to this level and it's a bit more cutthroat and like days like yesterday, you're going to get days like yesterday where you get a player of Sam Stanton's calibre just slipping past and getting a, a goal in the final minute and you're probably sitting there raging because you feel you've been robbed. But that's where you're at now, lads. You're going to have to fucking deal with it. Pin that on your wall, James McBee. <laughs> <laughs> Pinning an MP3 to his wall. Yeah. Um, excellent, right? I think that was that was an excellent note to to leave that behind. Um, for the time being, I suspect we will keep on talking about this game for the rest of the season. Um, but just because there is a game on Tuesday night, um, so let's just just have a little bit of a brief um, kind of look forward to this one. So Rovers go to Capelo, Morton, um, a late winner for them on uh, yesterday as well, uh, 87th minute, I think, uh, to beat Air United 1-0 at Somerset. Funny team, Morton. Um, just very difficult to to pin down. I mean, I know they get awfully chippy about it, but they are the most. If I, if you're going to be charitable about it, will we call it streetwise? 
uh, team in the division. Just I would kick, call them shithouses, but yeah, yeah, and I'd be I'd be so much more um, charitable or being kind to be charitable if they would just own that because there's nothing wrong with it. If that's what you're going to do, go and do that. It's fine as long as it works. If it doesn't work, you bottom of the league and you keep denying it. So, you know, I don't know why why that's um, the the option they've chosen to go with, but will be interesting. Um, they have also interestingly I saw switched to a back three, which I'm only mentioning because it's for exactly the reason that we mentioned about Benedictus. They've got Kurt Broadfoot in that back line and they've decided he now needs two pals just to try and keep him right. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes, whether they stick with that, because I thought he was brutal in the game at Starks Park. And if I'm Lewis Vaughan or Callum Smith, I am running to get on the bus on Tuesday night if... um, or Tuesday afternoon for the game on Tuesday night if Kurt Broadfoot's playing against me. Because there is a player that you can turn inside out with really not um not much effort. But as you say, they are bottom of the league, but they won on um one on Saturday, so by no means an easy game, um, going to Capo. Uh, Blair, I think you're heading to this one. What are your, yeah, your yeah. thoughts to this? Um yeah, I'm I'm going through on Tuesday night. Um I don't really know to be honest with you. Again, my I'm I'm a little bit concerned about bodies. Um, obviously, only two kind of senior players on the bench yesterday for our emphatic one-nil win against Dunfermline. Um, but the um, the worry going on Tuesday night is, you know, Easton came on and came off. I, I don't know how much to read into that. Whether it was about getting a defender on for the corner, or if it was about wasting time, or if Easton's kind of feeling it a wee bit. I don't know. Um, it, it does kind of. It worries me. It's a place that we've never—I don't know—we've never had a huge amount of of joy in. Like we, we've won games and stuff, but it's a it's a stuffy place to go. Pitch, I'm imagining, will be quite heavy. There'll, there'll probably be a bit more rain between now and then as well. So, um, yeah, I don't—I don't know. I think it's it's one of these games that, at the the current state of play, we should win. Like we have to be going into this expecting to win the game. I think that's where we're at. But I think with the expectation comes the the pressure that that goes with that. Um, but yeah, I'd like to see us. I'd like to see us win, and I'd like to see us keep another clean sheet. Actually, it would be would be a bonus. I think um, it's obviously still very early days in the season, but if we don't win that game, you basically call in the title for Dundee United. Yeah, I'd be inclined to, just the way, they, the way they look at the moment. Yeah. Um, anyone else want to come in on that or, or wider thoughts on the game on Tuesday? I mean, Morton are just, I'll be brutally honest in my assessment, I just think they're an absolute gang. I don't think, uh, and this will probably, again, I'm putting myself into clipping territory of sound bites, but I think that um, the Emery's not as good a manager as he's cracked out to be. I think that they, they ranted and raved about how good Grant Gillespie was last season when he scored about 50 penalties. Um, Robbie Muirhead will probably turn up and play like prime DDA drug bar because that's what he does. He just thoroughly um, lumbering forward who can just pull out wonder goals left, right and centre. It's a game where you just know what's coming. You know 100% what's coming. They are going to be up to all their antics, stuff like diving about off the ball, complaining, putting it, leaving tackles late, etc. Um, it's a tricky place to go at the best of times. Um, off the back of a derby, you, you always get the feeling that there might be a hangover, which has happened historically when you play big games, you go into the next one and you feel it. 
Uh, so yeah, it's it's going to be a very tricky game to say the least. And as Blair rightfully touches on with the bodies that we've got, hopefully we'll maybe see an appearance of some of the the players that have been out. But you you just get the feeling it's going to be the same squad, and it is going to be, even though it's bottom of the league away. Um, it might be a bit of a, a difficult ask, but all we can do is just stick behind the players and just if they can get a result on Tuesday, then we can move forward and we can just focus our efforts. So see how things go. Yeah, definitely. I I can't say I'm expecting anyone else back for this one. I think Murray had said that um what Keith Watson and Jack Hamilton, I got their names right this time, <laughs> are uh, are supposed to be back training kind of start of the week. I can't see there's any chance that they're coming back for this one. So I uh, hopefully um as you say, Dylan Easton was just a, a tactical change as opposed to, to anything too serious. And um, he's at least an extra body back that's ready to, to get some minutes together. But um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Aidan Connolly come in. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I don't think the kind of Scott McGill experiment particularly worked yesterday, which I don't think is any fault of his. Um, yep. Once again, he's been asked to play somewhere else. We're um we're getting towards a point. I remember there was a um a point where uh, John O'Shea had to go in goal for Man United, and it completed all the positions. He played in all sort of eleven roles for uh, for Man United. I feel like Scott McGill's getting towards that. Yeah. Um, for us, and it's, yeah, I think if we I know I bang on about this all the time. If we had a sort of marauding left back, you could play Scott McGill wide left. And then he can kind of shuffle inside and look for the the man on the overlap. But Liam Dick's not going to do that. You're you're, you know, asking Scott McGill's done awful lot on that side. So I wouldn't be at all surprised to see um, see Aidan Connolly come in there. But uh, yeah, there's not there's not going to be a lot of um, a lot of extra bodies coming in for that. Um, but we will obviously be back again on Thursday night, and we'll talk about whatever um, whatever happens uh, against Morton at Capo. I think interested. I just going to say, yeah. just before we were chatting, I had a wee look at their results. You know, the last time Morton scored twice in a game, other than in the the Mickey Mouse Cup, was it start? Was that against us? Aye, aye. Literally scored nothing or one in every game since, other than, um, like I say, they beat Elgin two one and they beat um, Kelly Harps four one um, in the Challenge Cup. But that aside, it's um, and they've had some pretty resounding defeats as well. You know, the three nil. 3-0 at home to Arbroath, um, 4-1 at home to Partick Thistle. Like, there's a few in there, so got to be hopefully. It'd be interesting yeah. to see how much of that is. Are they one of these teams who, who are much happier playing away from home? And actually, is it when they're at home there's a bit of pressure on them that they um, that they struggle? I mean, fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, right, but to, to kind of bring us home for uh, for today's episode... We're going to move on to, as we always do, move on to our big question for today. And what I'm looking for you today, gents, is I'm looking for you to give me your favourite sort of micro moment from yesterday. So you, just your favourite snapshot from uh, from yesterday. So whether that was part of the game itself, or something that happened in the stands, something that happened afterwards, just um, your favourite thing that happened yesterday. And uh, Robbie, let's start with you, please. Yeah, um, for me it was probably just the social media and just the general wind upness of uh, the the after the game. And you see the photos and it's stuff like you look at the photo where they're running off to celebrate, and you can see it in the highlights when you look at the sort of fan cam split with the the the, the uh, video of the goal. There's a guy on the the um, 
third, the the second closest set of steps to the uh, railway stand and the south stand, if you get where I'm at, if you look at the photos, and I mentioned this on Facebook, there's a guy, and it's absolutely brilliant, this. He's got his young daughter with her, who could only be maybe about two or three or something like that. And the goal goes in, and he completely... 90% of his mental capacity is, oh my God, we've scored a 90th minute goal in the derby. But then there's a final 10% that's remaining as he picks up his daughter and has to run down the stairs with her, holding on to her because he's celebrating that goal so much. I just loved seeing just the, the reaction to overall to the, the sort of, obviously the stuff with the, the, the poster after the game, just in general, just seeing the content that got put out and just how happy everyone was because there's no better feeling than it. So that was for me, yeah. Excellent. Um, Sandy, how about you? So there were a couple of different moments which were particularly uh, good for me. Um, I think a couple of minutes before Sam Stanton scored the winning goal, I was saying to the fellows next to me that the chances that Dunfermline have had, like there were there were chances that they really should have taken, um, but they've not. <laughs> and then for just literally a couple of minutes later, for Stanton to take his chance, and just the feeling of that sort of ninety fourth minute winner, obviously as what I would. So it was the biggest high for me, but then what really stood out to me, which has happened more than once this season, it was to see um, Callum Smith and Ross Millen right down towards the south stand again, um, giving the support back to the crowd that have given them the support through the game. It's just always really encouraging to, to see the players um, give it back uh, from what they've received from the, the crowd, which was, was really nice to see again. Perfect. Um, let's see, John. Let's come to you next, please. My my bit would be something I've never really seen in in the past, and that's the reaction to uh, the goal going in by our directors. Did you anybody see that? They were jump. They were cuddling, jumping. They just looked like they were one of us in the, in the crowd, and it was. It was quite amazing to see, you know, the euphoria had spread into uh, into the directors. The photo of John Potter as well, and uh, oh, yeah, that's incredible as well. Is now, now that they'll be upset, somebody reacting like that to a goal <laughs> late in the game. It's yeah. um, you can't even run it downstairs. Dylan Easton as well goes straight for John Potter. Yeah, again, yeah. We, we we talked a lot in the last episode about the importance that John Potter has clearly had and, and um the influence he's had. And uh, I think that speaks to it as well. That um, and we could we cleared Dunfermline links, loyalties, whatever you want to call it, like just losing himself in that moment is glorious. But that's yeah. like because the, the goal goes in and there's eight Rovers players who go for the dugout. Kevin Dabrowski climbs onto his own crossbar for reasons that I do not understand. Um, awesome, as he, yeah, Dylan Easton goes for John Potter in the main stand. <laughs> and also, full credit to uh, Tony Femister for turning around and taking that photo of Dylan Easton. That's a real photographer's instinct. Um, but yeah, Ross Millen is the uh, the 11th man. And he actually runs past, because obviously he's the right back, he runs past all of his teammates to head down for that northwest section. Um, and how, I mean, how, 
good nah. a feeling must that be? You're getting pelters um, for obviously ninety minutes, and I know that Ross isn't like one for 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 sort of like Twitter or anything like that. But you get pelters for ninety minutes about this and that and the other and how shite you were and how you're a scumbag, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then to be able to have that experience of just going, nope, I'm going straight, making a beeline, just going to completely wind you up, just get it right up you. So yeah, uh, fantastic work, and I'm all for it. And um, just uh, just because you mentioned cuddling, John, I'm going to give you my moment as well. So I sat next to my dad at the football, and uh, when that goal went in. I just, as everybody did, I leapt in the air and I turned to give my dad a big hug, and he was so shocked that we'd scored the goal. He was still sitting down, so he was still he was basically just looking like oh, like so. But I turned and I nearly just hooked the guy who was on the other side of him because I went right over his head. Oh, just uh, and that's just one of those kind of wee snapshot moments that I've I nearly tumbled down the stand that just in the aftermath of that just uh, See, aye, the, we, the moments that you get before we wrap up as well um, I've got to give a mention to Dario Valenti who I, I sort of mentioned this on WhatsApp as well but I bumped into Dario uh, or he came along and was just chatting about the podcast and we were talking about the, the tackle beforehand now Dario um, Sandy who sits behind me he knows them as well and uh, he was asked for his prediction before the game. And his prediction was, my wife is going to go mental. Um, and I think we all went mental in the end. So that's the that's maybe a story for you. So, <laughs> um, Let's see. Um, Blair, let's come to you for your uh, your moment, please. So mine is it's kind of a wider thing, but it was kind of encapsulated. So we... Um, we didn't come to the ground until pretty much for kickoff, which is unusual for us. We were meeting with a, a, a kind of bigger group of guys that, that wanted to go to the game, so we couldn't go to McMillan Club before the game. So we were in the Duchess um, a few pints before the game, um, and the northwest section were getting um, escorted along Link Street by the police um, and, and kind of disappeared along Link Street just in front of us. So we come out and we're walking along Link Street just after them, and... Um, Obviously, in amongst a whole load of them, Fairman fans who don't know we're Rovers fans, but I don't really care anyway. I'm, they're all like 15 and, do you know what I mean, I think they're as bad as nails. So we're walking along and it's dirty Rovers bastards and scum, scum, scum and all the rest of it. And then you get into the game and they're giving it big licks for 90 minutes in that bottom corner and all the rest of it. And uh, social media that Robbie's picked up on and they all kind of pile in on it and all the rest of it. And my big thing is the, the Dunferman fans who love to claim they don't care it's mm. that we don't really care about you you're not that important so i'm gonna i'm gonna take a wee gamble because i don't think there'll be any Dunfermline fans that are listening to this but if you have and you've got to this stage in this podcast this is directly to you get it round you <laughs> i am a hundred percent here for it i love the rivalry i love all i love hating the pars and everything else that goes I taught for years in Dunfermline and you know used to noise up the kids and the kids would give me it back and all the rest of it I love the rivalry and I love the fact they pretend they don't care and they are seething I had uh, I had that walking down Pratt Street as well after the game <laughs> Kurt Cody's a shite hole I want to go home and I was just <laughs> just I couldn't help myself uh, there was like five of them and I was on my own and I was just like fucking hell you're only taking that eighth place very well lads are you and then they're all oh yes Becky man and they're just they start off and then they're giving it the whole Green Street the wee dance thing eh? and I was just like oh my god man like just 
settle down. Just I'll settle hold. down and just accept your place. Just accept your place. They were giving a oh your mortgage must be two hundred and fifty quid a month. Like man, That's a really part- specific. Uh... Yeah. I mean, I would be quite happy if my mortgage was 250 quid a month because I'd be saving so much money. But uh, it's, uh, I don't think they know what a mortgage is. Patter. That's uh, uh, really bizarre. Really bizarre. But, excellent. Uh, here for all of it. I know, 100%. Scott, how about you? What was the uh, what did you enjoy most about yesterday? Oh, to be honest, it was just the full time whistle. <laughs> but uh, no, I actually, you've already spoke about it. But see, late later on last night when it came through that picture at John Potter, and I, I sent it to a mate of mine who's a a big Pars fan. I just sent it to him because as soon as it was announced the takeover was happening and that John Potter was coming to the club uh, in the summertime. All we were getting was all oh, Agent Potter's coming to sort of the Wii team and everything. And I just sent it to him, just went, Agent Potter, I <laughs> just, <laughs> he was seething at the fact that he's meant to be this guy that loves Dunfermline or loved, oh, he could love his time at there, but it just shows you that he cares about yeah where he's working at that moment in time and then that, yeah, we've scored a 90th minute winner and he's, he's just. You could see, like, I don't know if he's got, like, an earpiece in or something, because he's got the walkie-talkie in his hand, and it's almost like getting yanked in his ear as he's trying to run down the stairs. And then, yeah, it's just uh, just that whole scene after the goal, just uh, is, uh, yeah, the favourite part of yesterday. Fantastic. Well, I tell you what, I'm sure I know. Well, I know for a fact we all enjoyed our uh, our afternoons yesterday. I hope everybody has enjoyed listening to this episode as well. Um, if you do want to see more uh, kind of Twitter beef, uh, Robbie has the keys to the uh, the social media account, and you can uh, you can see his right, best efforts. Um, so you can see that, as I say, that's at O N N N podcast on Twitter. Um, if you are listening to this episode and you would like to see our faces, that's weird, um, but you can actually do so on YouTube. That's at Oh No 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 Podcast. Um, we will leave it here. We will be back on Thursday night into Friday morning to look back at whatever's happened at Capital, and we will see you then. But for now, we will say goodbye and thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Bye, folks. Thanks for listening. Thank you. See you later. Fuck the powers. <laughs> <laughs>